0: Welcome to the Comics Course, a podcast offering by Miskatonic University's remote education program, Offering Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History. I am your Professor Hamby, accompanied by my T.A. Rowan. Say hello, Rowan.
1: Hello, Rowan.
0: If you have comments or questions, I'm on Twitter as Prof Hamby. That is P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y. Let's get class started. Class is in session. Welcome back, folks. We are today doing more Sandman. We do have one of the Miskatonic hounds in here, so if you hear a little bit of noise moving around, that's what it is. But he was kind of lonely. Even the flesh eaters of Miskatonic occasionally need a little love. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So... We just recorded a new intro and outro, and I Mm -hmm. felt like a little bit of a fraud recording the outro, because... I said we drop episodes on Monday and Thursday, and I feel like I should have said Monday and (laughs) Thursday-ish. This one, for example, is going to drop on a Tuesday that was supposed to be Monday that we were supposed to have recorded Sunday. So, we we are professionals, folks. Mm -hmm. And I have up here on the screen a picture of a man. Can you guess who that is, Rowan? No. His birthday was Sunday. He's passed away, unfortunately. Mm. That is Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby.
1: Oh, I've never actually seen what he looks like.
0: He had quite a strong set of features, didn't he? He was a striking fellow. This is a picture from when he was, I don't know, probably in his 30s, maybe early 40s. Most of the times I would ever seen him, he was an older gentleman, well-established in his career. And this is a younger Jack Kirby. Very striking. Mm -hmm. And something I wanted to show you before we get into the meat of Sandman and other stuff was a compilation of covers that I saw somebody post on Twitter and I thought it was really striking because you could see the evolution of his art style over the years. Unfortunately, this is not appearing well on this screen here. Let me see if I can enlarge it a little bit. Yeah, check those out. Starting with Captain America number one, going to Fantastic Four number one quite a few years later It has Young Romance title he worked on during the 50s, Avengers, Black Panther, The Hulk, and then going up to some of his work at DC with New Gods and Mr. Miracle, as well as The Eternals in there.
1: You can see his hands
2: evolve.
0: Yes, and you can see his things like proportions evolve. I mean, you have to admit, the anatomy on that Captain America is pretty awkward,
2: yeah. But
0: you still, even in those early days Have that sense of dynamic energy from him
2: And movement
0: Right And then you move on to, by the 50s He'd gotten really good That Young Romance cover I mean, the figure is sultry And then you compare that with, say, Black Panther Which was in the 70s With that just insane dynamic style To mm-hmm. Black Panther And then, I mean, jump up to Mr. Miracle here mm-hmm. Look at... You know, he kind of had these phases where he did these very dramatic humanoid figures. And he did these very powerful, elaborate, non-human figures. And by the time he did Mr. Miracle, he was combining these two things. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Really an amazing artist. And there's a reason he's so well regarded. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, we're also reviewing a root beer today. This Mm -hmm. is kind of a safe one. This is Mugg's root beer. Mm -hmm. Which, out of a plastic bottle... Which, to me, is one of the mainline ones. It's kind of one of the ones you judge others against. Yeah. So It's one of
1: the ones when you pick it up, you know it's going to be good.
0: It's going to be reliably decent. Mm-hmm. So, on our five-point scale, I put this at a solid three.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: And this time I'm drinking a big glass of it. I'm not worrying about a little taste test sample mm-hmm. uh, like I did with a couple of those others. Because, dear God, did we have two bad ones last week. I know. Okay, let's jump into Sandman. Now, at this point, you have watched up through episode five with me, I think?
1: Three or four, I want to say. Maybe five.
0: I think five, because there was the first episode, and then the second episode, which kind of set up the conflict. And then they had the three episodes dedicated to him, Morpheus, Mm -hmm. reclaiming his sand, his helm, and his ruby.
1: Actually, yeah, five does sound right then.
0: And that almost takes us through the ends of Preludes and Nocturnes. There's one more episode, The Sound of Her Wings. We're not going to cover that today, but we're going to talk about the Preludes and Nocturnes up to that point and then end it. And we'll talk about the show as we go, because as we said last time, there are some interesting elements to this to look at from a storytelling perspective and adaptation to a different media. So. I was choking when we were recording the other week the name of the cover artist who did the Sandman books. And his name was Dave McKean. In fact, partway Mm. through Sandman, he basically stopped working in the comics industry altogether, but continued to do the Sandman covers. Mm -hmm. And he now primarily works in film, although I think he does maybe dip back into art for comics every Mm. now and then. But he primarily works for film and does his own independent art.
1: Mm, That makes sense.
0: So, you can probably guess who we get to interact with in issue three here from the cover art. Because it's not entirely abstract. The central figure is directly from the issue. Do you recognize him?
1: No, my memory's bad.
0: John Constantine. Oh! Now, I have a bad habit of saying John Constantine. Because that's how I always read it. Uh, I have been informed over the years that it's Constantine. And I know that is correct. But many years of habit of pronouncing as I read it have stuck in my brain. So I apologize to folks when I say Constantine, when I should say Constantine.
1: Constantine just sounds better, though.
0: I think so, too, actually. But it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So this was covered in the series. And one of the big things we have to get out of the way of the series is something that upset a lot of people. And that Constantine lost his bollocks. How and sad. gained a pouch.
1: How sad.
0: And it really bothered people. And it became Joanna Constantine. Now, you have seen Constantine Constantine stuff. You saw the mm. movie with Keanu Reeves. You saw the TV show with uh, the actor's name. I can't remember. But he was pretty good. Um... I believe he also appeared in Legends of Tomorrow, but I didn't watch the series that far.
1: I didn't watch it either.
0: He's also provided the voice for Constantine in a number of animated versions, I believe. Yeah. So, what did you think about it being Joanna Constantine instead of John Constantine?
1: Didn't bother me at all. Nothing about his character really mattered that he was a dude. I'm upset about the aesthetics, though.
0: See? Me too. Me too. So, so... Rather than lead you into that, since you brought it up yourself, you tell me what you think about the aesthetics, because that bugged me.
1: Yeah, they did the issue, they do this with every single female character, where they always have to make her clean and proper looking. Even if her... He has feelings about this.
0: Wow, the hound. It, it's, it's okay, man. I understand you didn't like the change either. <laughs> oh no, a couple of the hounds are growling, folks. Oh joy. All right. So continue.
1: Where they always have to make them look clean and prof, even if the character is a hot mess. And they did that here. Her coats were always super clean. There was never a hair out of
0: place. Right. When when John Constantine rolls out of bed, he is a hot mess from moment one. His shirt is wrinkled. God knows when he last washed it. There's probably some nicotine, nicotine you know stain somewhere. And... Oh my lord you know the hounds get really grumpy at this time of year because the fresh the freshmen have started to catch on the food supply goes down
1: mm-hmm. <sighs> they're finally listening to the signs
0: right so yeah Constantine I, I I don't care that it's Joanna Constantine instead of John Constantine and and I liked that they wrote in this reference to the ancestors which is a reference to the French Revolution storyline uh, issue um, revol- revolving around Orpheus later in the Sandman comics when he employed Joanna Constantine to help recover uh, the head of his son Orpheus mm-hmm. from the French uh, 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 government. But yeah, she looked her, her her jacket, her her coat was perfect. It was perfectly clean, it was perfectly laundered, it was pressed, her hair was immaculate. Um, you know, I understand that they probably didn't want her smoking because that's not seen as positive these days. But why can't a woman be a hot mess?
1: Because it's not appealing, I guess.
0: It's not feminine enough. Mm-hmm. And that's what bugged me. I didn't give a crap that they made it a woman, but I felt like you kind of violate part of the character when you change their aesthetics that much.
1: Mm-hmm. And a woman does not have to be feminine to be a woman.
0: Right. Now, some of the dialogue was spot on. hmm When she turns around, because Morpheus says, you don't know what you've done. And she goes, yeah, I do. I tripled my fee. <laughs> I mean, that was spot on. I yeah, liked that.
1: The the writing matched who the person was, the aesthetic didn't.
0: Maybe. I mean, I think... John Constantine would be a little more vulgar than she was, but I mean, it was within bounds. Um, and I, I would have preferred a thicker accent on her. I imagine John Constantine with a strong, strong accent. Mm-hmm. I mean, not impenetrable Cockney, mm-hmm. you know, uh, probably not not really Cockney at all, because he comes from up north, but I expect a strong northern accent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we're talking like Yorkshire kind of thick accent here. Mm. But anyway. Um, it, plus, I do question, is it okay to change it to a female character? Now, this may surprise some people listening that I even question this because I was so dismissive of the issue of changing gender, of, say, Lucienne. Lucian to Lucienne. But John Constantine is not unique to the Sandman stories.
2: hmm
0: Yes, Lucian showed up in stories other than Sandman written by Neil Gaiman, but pretty much always within the Sandman universe. Anything outside that has been tiny little uh, uh, guest appearances. John Constantine, however, was introduced in Swamp Thing, has had many series, including a very long-running series of Hellblazer, and primarily exists outside the continuity of Sandman. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, is it okay within the story to flip a character that is largely known from outside this story continuity? Yeah. You think so?
1: Yeah, especially because cause DC has kind of shown they don't connect their stuff together.
0: That is true, they don't.
1: The only stuff that's connected is the Arrowverse and the Flashverse of the TV shows.
0: All of which they call the Flashverse. And I mean, some, sorry, Arrowverse.
1: And some of their animated stuff, and that's it.
0: Yeah. Still, I have mixed feelings about it. But i it doesn't bother me. I just question if it was the right decision. Mm. So as the issue opens, a lot of it mirrors the TV show if you've seen it. Although I will state that when you see John Constantine's bedroom... when the, When you see Joanna Constantine's... Things are out of place and messy, but not dirty. John Constantine's is dirty.
1: She was just disorganized.
0: Right. And... We have a couple of hints of what's to come. He goes to a diner, and they're playing that old song from the 50s or 60s, Mr. Sandman, you know. And Constantine's like, is somebody trying to tell me something? And then we see Mad Hetty outside. And this is almost word for word Mad Hetty from the TV show, where she says, The owner of Monster is coming, you know. The Sandman, Mad Hetty, you've got to be pulling my leg. Did John Constantine just become Scottish?
1: I think you just did that. Well, if
0: I did it long enough, he'd become Russian. All my accents become Russian eventually.
1: Unfortunately,
0: this is true. I mean, I could just sit here and read the whole issue in a Russian accent just for fun. But we won't. And there are some things I'm going to point out here that definitely were not in the TV show, um, which amuses me. But anyway, Constantine comes back to his apartment he runs into Morpheus, who puts on a trench coat to join him. I should point out that Constantine's trench coat is an iconic part, so I was glad they kept that for Joanna Constantine. In fact, John Constantine later became known of what be- was jokingly known as the Trench Coat Brigade. Mm. Of these sort of mystic characters who all wore trench coats.
1: Because of trench coats.
0: Right. And it turns out that Constantine had bought a bag of sand at, like, a yard sale or a state sale. For Joanna Constantine, it was in England. For John Constantine, it was in San Francisco. And he's going through some of his old possessions, trying to find stuff about it. And we find these bound notebooks of notes from things he's gone through. And some of them are downright amusing. Now, Liverpool may be a reference to what happened with Astrid and the demon. But he has the plant elemental, which is a reference to Swamp Thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And indeed, in here, he makes a reference to big guys with no sense of humor, and you'd get along, and he's referencing Swamp Thing. Mm. And he also has one for Crisis, which this was being published just a few years after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm. <laughs> which implies that he has a memory of the Crisis on Infinite Earths, although, say, most characters do not.
1: Oh, well, of course, out of everyone, he does.
0: <laughs> right. And there were a few characters that did, um, although most did not. And so they go to retrieve the sand. Now, there are a couple of differences here, one of which is in the TV show, there's more foreshadowing of things to come. Because in the comics, he didn't, it's a serial creation.
2: Mm-hmm. Neil
0: Gaiman did not know how long it was going to run. He did not know what stories he might be adding four or five years in the future. Mm-hmm. While with the TV series, they know all of that from the beginning. So in the TV series, when John Constantine makes a reference to, you know how it is with X's, and that makes Morpheus pause, we know his X is going to be introduced, Mm -hmm. at least a X, Um, whereas that's not the case here. They also made the show a bit less gruesome. Here, they're moving through hallways coated with human flesh that's still alive. And what do you think of the art here? It's
1: That's gruesome, but amazing. It really does look like flesh.
0: And you can see eyes poking out and stuff like that. And this is all from the sand, which was not meant to be handled by mortals. And the resolution is very similar to what it was in the TV show. And it serves an important point of, again, for the reader... The involvement of John Constantine was very specific and intentional. It said, this sort of thematic universe you read in Swamp Thing and Hellblazer, this is continuing in Sandman. And you... Thunder's coming. The storm has begun. Right when I mentioned Hellblazer and Swamp Thing. It's very apropos. I was,
1: I was looking at your hands to see if you triggered a soundboard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, that's all natural outside. Damn. I know. So, this is before the Vertigo imprint existed, but they're, they're declaring to readers, you may see Swamp Thing here. You may see other characters show up here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then we move on to A Hope in Hell. Now, here he lands, and the graphic imagery is very different than mm-hmm. what they did in the TV show.
1: Ooh, very different.
0: Uh, as is the demon that meets him. Oh. Although he has the same name, Squatterbloat. Mm-hmm. Although here he's like this literally squat form with this hard to define mouth. And you see much of the art style that later Sam Keith developed in the Max more heavily.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And Morpheus gets tired of squatter mal- squatter Bloat's mouth and throws him to the side. And then, for innocents abroad need guides of note, and who notes more than me, than Etragon? The rhyming demon Etragon appears.
2: Ooh.
0: Now, and, and Sandman says, Etragon, yes, Merlin's demon, the Half Man, I remember you. So you're a rhymer now. You've risen in Hell's hierarchy, I see. And that. It is a thing from the comics that the rhyming demons are a higher level and more powerful than others. And he's even wearing his vague, weird, superhero-ish outfit here with the red and gold and blue. He
1: he looks like an alien knockoff of Superman.
0: Now, notably in the comics, he's usually not this bestial. Note the giant teeth and the elongated snout. Those aren't normally used for him in the comics. That is Sam Keith's alteration. Mm. Now... Uh, Etragon was created by who? Jack Kirby Jack Kirby, that's right Seriously, there's like five creators to know And if you ever go on something like Jeopardy And they ask who created X character uh, If you have no idea You can say Jack Kirby or one of the other four And have a good shot at getting it right Mm
2: -hmm. It's
0: just amazing See, and the sky agrees with me
2: Clearly Now
0: here's another detail they left out of the show The wood of suicides has changed since my last visit to hell. I remember it as a tiny grove. Now it resembles a forest. Hell is changing.
2: Mm. I mean, creepy
0: thought, right? Yeah. Now, like in the show, they take this uh, convoluted route and he runs into Nada. Although here, she does not make that comment about hope, uh, which, of course, is a foreshadowing for how the Conflict with the demon is resolved.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Indeed, she's just left weeping and sad. So again, a bit more of a downer. And then we approach the Citadel of Hell. Damn.
1: They made it more dramatic on the TV show for once.
0: Although that's pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. And he meets Lucifer. And I think they did an amazing job of the Lucifer in the TV show looking like the Lucifer... Of the comics Yeah,
1: they did a really good job. The only difference here is that she is a little bit more ginger than blonde.
0: She, he, it. Angels are actually asexual.
1: Yeah, I was just saying that because... How they appear visually.
0: And the actress was female in the Mm -hmm. show. So, he's introduced... uh, In the events that have happened in DC Comics since... Hell is now a triumvirate run by three major demons. Mm -hmm. But, like in the comic... Sandman Morpheus does not know what demon has his helm so the entire horde of hell is summoned.
2: Damn.
0: And I think this is more dramatic than it was in the TV show.
1: Definitely.
0: In the TV show you saw these camps out like an army of fe- you know, in the field. But you don't really see detail. Mm-hmm. Here you have these billions of creatures with each one absolutely unique
2: mm-hmm. and hellish
0: shaped. Morpheus identifies him, which unlike in the TV show, he's wearing garters and stockings. <laughs> kind of punk style.
1: I can see why they didn't go with it for the TV show.
0: Probably would have weirded some people out.
1: Also, it's just not dramatic.
0: Now, in this version, he does fight the demon directly. Mm. Lucifer does not stand in as his champion.
2: Oh, that's... wow.
0: And there's a sort of nightclub scene, and it's all abstracted. The attacks are not mirrored on their body as they are in the TV show. And there's more steps to it. It does, in fact, start with the wolf, but then instead of the snake, it goes to a fly, and a fly to the spider, and then the snake, and then a bison on the snake. Mm-hmm. So there's more steps to it. But the storyline goes along the same way, ending with Hope. Except where it's dragged down the TV show, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, is this over? Is Morpheus dead? There's six more episodes, folks. Yeah, Seven more at this point. Yeah, he's not dead. Uh, and it's very different here, because they don't try to draw out that drama. Instead, he just stands there and goes, I am Hope. Like, I had this in the bag the whole time. I knew Hope would be at the end, and I knew a demon would never think of that. And it has a very different feeling yeah. there. Like, I am the king of stories. This was not something they had a hope of, you know, getting me on.
1: I can see why they went for the more dramaticness for a TV show. It works. That wouldn't work as well on screen as it does on a page.
0: But but it's a false démonet. It, it's a false climax because the real climax happens after, and it's same in the tv show and i think it's what really matters Mm. he gets the helm back and then says thank you uh i thank you the kings of hell are honorable i will remember this honorable you joke surely look around you morpheus the million lords of hell stand arrayed about you tell us why we should let you leave helmet or no you have no power here Power have dreams in hell. And then Morpheus stands out and looks to the great hordes of hell and says, You say I have no power. Perhaps you speak truly, but you say that dreams have no power here. Tell me, Lucifer Morning Star, ask yourselves, all of you, what power would hell have if those here imprisoned were not able to dream of heaven? And then he leaves. Now, Lucifer makes the comment that he will one day destroy Dream, which he doesn't say directly to him as he does in the show. He, she, it. Um, But one interesting difference is that since he's speaking directly to Morningstar in the show, unlike here where he's addressing the hordes of hell, the threat of what would happen if those in hell could not dream of heaven, in the comic, it seems oriented to the hosts of hell could they actually continue to torture people if they didn't dream of heaven if they didn't have hope would it still hurt them Hmm. if they just gave up while in the show it felt like he was saying it directly to lucifer as in what would your existence be like if you couldn't dream of heaven anymore Mm -hmm. which is a very interesting different play
2: Uh
0: and i thought was interesting and then in the epilogue, a guard wanders by John D's cell at Arkham Asylum and drops off the amulet of protection from his mother, who's passed away. Handled very different in the TV show.
1: That is very different.
0: What are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't... <laughs> Once again, one of those things where I understand why they did it differently, because I feel like it, it would not feel as dramatic as the way they did it on screen.
0: Right. But storytelling-wise, I think it works here. Yeah. And one of the interesting differences between something that's serialized a, in a video medium versus mm-hmm. a book is that in a book, you can have an epilogue where you keep up with a parallel story. hmm And people can easily flip back and reread. It's much more awkward to go back and re a part of a show, so you often want clips that fit in between to keep people up to beat. Mm-hmm with parallel events happening. It's an interesting challenge from a story writer. And there's potentially things that writers can sometimes learn. However, in a printed medium, you also have a risk of potentially confusing people in a way that you don't in a show. Which is, when we talked about the King Conan series, one of the things they did brilliantly was when they had the flashbacks... They made them look different, but not radically different. So it didn't feel like you were suddenly reading a different comic, but it was clear you had left one storyline to enter another. hmm Which I think is pretty brilliant. hmm So the next episode, John Dee escapes.
2: Oh, wow.
0: And he wanders through the asylum. He finds the Scarecrow, the Batman villain, hanging, trying to scare people as they go by. Because, of course, the Scarecrow is at Arkham Asylum.
1: But this is very... Holy shit, he looks kind of dead.
0: Yes. He hasn't dreamed in decades. And then, taking a gun from a dead guard, he hails down a car and takes this blonde hostage, Rosemary.
1: Very different than the show.
0: Yes. The show, they kind of tone him down to make him a bit nicer. Seriously. Then we see Mr. Miracle... Now, all of this was done with a purpose. Notice over here, I showed Jack Kirby's Mr. Miracle. Oh. Well, now in Sandman, we run into him dreaming. Mm. <laughs> From where he was raised on uh, Apocalypse. As a sort of prisoner of war.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then we flash back to John D. driving with the woman. Keeping the gun on her. And... As he seeks out his ruby, which he can feel where it is.
2: Mm.
0: Now, why did Morpheus go to find Scott Free, Mr. Miracle? Because he's a member of the Justice League, and the Justice Leagues were the last ones to have the ruby when they defeated Dr. Destiny. And in fact, on a little teleprompter, a little computer screen here, we even see the classic Dr. Destiny
2: mm. from
0: the 1970s, I think it was. Mm. They keep going. The discussion is very different in the car between John D. and Rosemary. And then as we go back to the Justice League, Scott Free, Mr. Miracle, has the idea of, well, we still have the Martian Manhunter around from the old days. Maybe he knows what happened to that stuff. And then Jean Jones, the Martian Manhunter, immediately goes into a crouching position. Lord Zorel, I greet you humbly. May you guard us in darkness and on the pathways between waking hours and protect us in dreams from the flame of your wrath. And we see how he sees Morpheus, which is this floating black head covered with fire. A Martian head.
1: Damn, very... So so this is how they show that everyone sees them differently. Right. Because we got to see that in the Hell chapter in the show instead.
0: Right. And... Again, there is no attempt here to dissuade that this is not part of the mainstream DC universe. Mm-hmm. Now, as we go further and further on, references to mainstream DC characters are going to get much further and fewer fewer in between
2: mm-hmm. as they
0: kind of distance from it. And I suspect, although I've never heard it said by Neil Gaiman, that this was an editorial decision from the higher-ups at DC because, frankly, the Vertigo imprint stuff was selling, like, hotcakes in bookstores to people who didn't give a crap about superhero characters.
2: Uh.
0: And we see Destiny continuing towards Mayhew, where the gem is stored. Meanwhile, Sandman finds it himself, and just like in the show, attempts to use it, but finds it altered and it knocks him out. Meanwhile, John D. gets out of the car, talks to Rosemary, and then shoots her in the face with his gun. Rowan has her hand over her mouth in shock, folks.
1: That's one way to deal with the witness.
0: Yep. Yeah, there's no giving of, her, of the amulet of protection to her here. They definitely wanted you to like him more than they did in the comics.
1: Jeez. Yeah, because there's nothing to like about this guy.
0: <laughs> now, in the show, this is all condensed down into one episode. But by this point, uh, you may notice the artist changed. By now, Sam Keith is gone. He bailed on it.
1: Oh, that's sad.
0: Yes. The art is now credited to Mike Drigenberg, who was involved before, and Malcolm Jones III. And Malcolm Jones III becomes not the artist who does all of the Sandman interiors from here on out, but he does a lot of them and becomes heavily associated with it. Now, in the comic, we learn a lot more about some of these characters in the diner, many of whom have been changed substantially for the tv show and it also gets more gruesome in my opinion
1: as you told me as we watched
0: yeah the same basic things happen for the most part but there are things like him watching the puppet show on tv and having the guy cut his own hand off holding the puppet Mm. the woman walking around with her severed head her husband's severed head on a plate Um, The sex and the violence are all more grotesque and insane in here.
2: Mm.
0: And I'm not going to go over it in tiny detail. I don't feel that that's necessary here. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But in the show, the theme was lies. He's taking away the lies from people. Here, the theme is more of him controlling. Mm -hmm. It's more of a mind control than bringing out some internal truth from them
1: he's a different kind of crazy here
0: right including scenes where he has them worship him as a god but some of the scenes remain the same like the nails through the hand which (laughs)
2: yeah.
0: yeah and by the end everybody is dead and you have that same basic intro where Morpheus walks in and then they go into a third issue this is drawn out much more than in the TV show But in the end, it all pretty much ends the same way. Although in the comic, where in the show, the sequence in the dream world lasts for what? Like two minutes, basically? Mm -hmm. Here, it's long and drawn out with him seeing himself, you know, as Caesar and having a Greek chorus and all this other stuff happening.
2: Oh, wow.
0: Right. You get these long, drawn out looks at his psychosis. But it ends the same way. And then he takes John D. back home to Arkham Asylum. Well, no explanation of what happened to the uh, amulet, though, of protection.
1: Oh. I guess maybe that's why they also did it differently in the show to explain
0: what happened there. To get rid of it and why you can't use it to walk out again. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That wouldn't make
0: sense. And interestingly, a little bit here at the end, they say next, a death in the family, which is the sound of her wings, which introduces death of the endless, but they didn't use that title. They changed it to the sound of her wings. Yes, there's a hound in here, folks. Just try to ignore it. So we'll go over this as we move into the others, but I, I, I wanted to introduce some of the connections there to Jack Kirby, given that we originally planned to record this on his birthday and it's still pretty recent. And I think it's interesting how they balance the storytelling needs of the show with trying to stay faithful to the comics. Because while there are many particulars that are different, thematically it's identical.
2: Uh,
0: Although they take off some of the rough edges. They make some of the characters more likable and less, shall we say, homicidal? Yeah. Less narcissistic?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the John D of the show, played by David Thews. Um, seemed to genuinely be interested in his question.
1: Just completely crazy. Right. But seemed like he actually wanted good. Wrong way about it.
0: Dramatically wrong way about it.
1: <laughs> but did actually seem to have good intentions.
0: Right. So, you, one of the things we often talk about in a lit class is what are the themes here? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a few themes here. Maybe the major one being that there are powers man is not meant to have. All of these tools of the endless that the humans are interacting with bring about nothing but harm to others. There are things they should not mess with. Kind of like how I keep telling the ancient languages department to stop opening anything bound with a leather they can't identify.
1: Here we go again.
0: Am I wrong? No. I mean,. There's a reason they haven't had a student graduate in 47 years from their department.
1: Oh, I'm surprised no one's been fired yet.
0: I think they have something on the Board of Trustees. I don't know what, but something, I swear. Mm.
1: That would explain it.
0: So, in the storyline, what we have is this King of Dreams recovering his power and his tools of office. Mm-hmm. But the major theme is that there are things humans should not mess with. And that the world is a better place when they don't. Now, this will all come to sort of a head in the sound of her wings. And I find it fascinating because this perfectly wraps up the first storyline. If this is all that had ever been published of Sandman, it still would have been good. And it left Neil Gaiman in a fascinating place writing-wise because he could go anywhere from here and his choices are very open-ended now with characters that a character that people are interested in and some supporting casts that people like
2: uh-huh.
0: and so where do you go from there in a serial that in theory could be canceled any time sandman went on to run far longer than most comics ever do Ooh. frankly most comics that hit 20 issues have been pretty lucky so We'll talk about that more as we go on and talk about the challenge of this long-running serial and how it's very clear he did not do this like, say, a radio serial. Uh You know, radio serials create a cliffhanger to run episode to episode. And they may have arcs to them, but it's episode to episode. Whereas here, what we're going to get into are things that don't make sense without the whole arc. Uh
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So yes, they're being published month to month, but they're really conceived of as graphic novels and being broken up into issues to serialize, which allow allow this sort of new model of comics where yes, the comics could break even or make money or at least recoup costs being sold to the direct market, but they really made their money out in the bookstores, being sold to people that aren't forty year old white males.
2: Mm-hmm. That's helpful.
0: And it turned out that there was a both huge female and huge younger population interested in stories that just happened to be graphic stories
2: Uh
0: Um, and and didn't want to read what people called comic books, but wanted to read graphic novels. Uh And here we go. For many people, this, which we've almost finished, Preludes and Nocturnes, is essentially the first graphic novel that a lot of comic book readers have read and has often been pointed out as something that has helped other people uh, who aren't comics readers look at graphic lit and say, there is actual literature to be had here. It is not just Batman beating up the threat of the week or month or what. Well, there's enough Batman titles. It's threat of midweek. There have been times at which as many as like 11 or 12 Batman titles have been published simultaneously.
1: Who wants to read that much
0: Batman? batman fanatics all right well i think with that until next time uh we're going to dismiss but i will say thursday we are dropping an episode talking about the difference between parallel universes and alternate universes Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and with that class is dismissed class is over but before you leave your seats we have one more teaching moment new podcasts drop on mondays and thursdays we are on apple podcasts google play spotify stitcher and tons of other platforms as well as youtube our hosting is at comicscourse.captivate.fm which also has our rss feed if you want to find our website tiktok any of that other stuff constantly updated list is at linktree l i n k t r e forward slash prof